Good morning, everybody. It's fun. I was telling our leaders group that um, I'm a little bit out of order in what I'm ta- thinking and talking about is that tomorrow is a year since I've been on staff. And it's fun to be, thank you, that's, not saying that for applause, but that a year ago I knew nobody, well, I knew a few of you in this room, but today I had to cover my microphone because it's on and I was like, I need to see you and see you and say hi. And so it's fun um, to be in this space a year later. And I'm going to take a deep breath because I think a lot of y'all are like me and it has felt like a crazy morning between the rain and getting here. Um, I've heard I'm not the only one that has used the word discombobulated today. Um, So we'll we'll do this together. Um, As we get started, I would be remiss if I didn't say to Leanne, to Catherine, I know there are others in this room who have experienced some deep grief over this last couple of months. I'm going to cry thinking about it, and I'm grateful for y'all to be here, that you have been faithful, and you have, goodness, your intent was not to minister to others, because you were grieving, and you are grieving, but you have ministered in your grief to others, and God is faithful through that, and I'm thankful that you, to to see you today, Um, and your table is all pink, like, that's crazy. Um, and so, um, and I just want all of us to hear that and know that um, we are a women, a group of women who are walking through y'all. Not, we, don't, we know very little of what happens behind the closed doors and behind, I always say behind the eyes. Um, and there's a lot, when we look at the whole of this room, there is a lot happening in the lives of our, of our families and our women. Um, and so thank you for your faithfulness to love Jesus, to love God, to want to study his word, to be here and faithful, to be in fellowship with other people. It's so important. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, and now we'll move forward and not have tears, I hope. Um, before we do get started, this is a little bit of a different day, as you can see. Uh, we've we've kind of skipped things backwards again. Um, if there's, there's a few new people in the room. If you don't know me, I'm Christy Bicknell. I'm the director of women's ministry. Um, just put a name and a face together. Um, y'all, I told you this is a discombobulated morning. I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> he wants to join me on stage. Um, I'll hand you my notes. Um, we have flipped, as you can tell, we have flipped the day today. Um, I love flipping the day as, um, as strange as it seems and as kind of off kilter it might make you. I like, I love being in here um, first thing on these first days back. Um, there's something about seeing each other, um, being able to just start the day together and then spend some extended time in your small groups. Um, I really want you to have that time and that space. Just, it's only, I mean, it's only been, it's been two months. There's a lot that has happened um, in two months. And so just to have some extra time to do those things. Before we do get started, y'all, we've got a list of things I want you to know about. I have not sent my email in quite some time. It is drafted. Um, I have not hit send. Um, it Hopefully in the next day or two. Um, I have missed sending those out. Um, hopefully you've missed receiving them. Um, but I'll get back into that routine um, this week. Um, and so you'll see a lot of these re- repeated on there, but I want to make sure that you know about some of the things coming up in the life of our church um, and in the ministry. Our caregivers group is meeting next week. Taylor and I talked yesterday, and the reality is many of you do not call yourselves a caregiver, and you are. Um, You don't have to be hands-on changing diapers to be a caregiver. 
um, it can just be the concern and the management of care for someone, the awareness that you are the um, first call if something happens, um, just that extra attention that you need and have and responsibility and burden that you have for someone in your life. And so I want you to know and understand that um, you may not like that term, but that may be what you are. Um, and so that's what this group is meant to do is help equip um, provide some fellowship. Um, there are people in very different stages of life. Kurt and I are now caregivers of his mom. She is independent, but we are responsible for for her. And um, I think most of y'all know we moved three months ago, and so she is um, in the house with us now. We had a different living arrangement last time, um, and so it looks a little bit different for us. But um, as you can tell, Kurt, actually my husband, is um, speaking at the next caregivers group, which is next week. Kurt is a pharmacist. He's the owner of a long-term care pharmacy. So managing medications and understanding the impact and what that all means um, is just kind of just it's what he knows. And so I would encourage you, if you just want to know more about um, understanding how to, uh, understanding medications, um, managing medications, the impact they have, um, whether your loved one is here or far away, I think it, this is just an important topic. And he really would prefer, he'll talk for a little bit, but his preference is that you bring your questions and you can bring your med list if you want, um, and he can answer questions. Um, that's where he'd rather be in that space. Um, Supper Club, we'll start that next week. It's um, at Central Barbecue that same night as um, the caregivers group, six o'clock just over here on Poplar. Gabor, if you participated in his training last November, he's back for step three. Um, if you haven't been able to participate or, or do, oh, I went too fast. fast. Um, step one or two, talk to Stephen um, or anyone on that team. Um, this has been a phenomenal just training, and, and so I want to encourage you to, to come to this, even if you didn't get to do step two. Um, do register. Child care is provided. Um, again, y'all, this is the beginning of the semester, so there's a lot to share. Um, we're going to start back the coffee club. Um, again, these are just going to be monthly, a supper club, a coffee club. We'll try and move them around, so depending on where you are um, in, in the city, we can be closer to you or further away. Um, Thursday, January 25th at 930. This is something that you can imagine is really important to me, uh, adoption of foster group. Um, if you are a foster or, adoption, or adoptive parent, if you are interested in that, if you are a birth mother or know someone who's a birth mother, these are three very different um, groups that have very specific needs and points of conversation. As an adoptive mom, there's a lot of things that I want to make sure that I, I can speak so differently to, to anyone who's interested in it. And so um, there's several women that have already committed to being here. Um, if you know anyone that wants to be there, please let them know, or needs to be there, please let them know. And again, adoption, foster, birth moms, three very different groups. Um, we're just gonna kinda see, and, and these very likely need to be different. You know, we may be all under one title, but we may s separate into different groups. Um, a colorful day is coming up, um, register please. Um, we just opened registration yesterday, so um, take a look. I'm excited about some of the, or all of the, not some of the, all of the workshops. Um, it'll be condensed from 9 to 12, so you will be here at 9 and you'll be home or wherever you want to go um, by noon. Um, we'll start with uh, coffee check-in, coffee bar. If you remember what we did for our kickoff, uh, we'll have that. Um, we'll go to our first workshops, have a brunch in between, and then we'll have our second workshops and head out. Um, Act Two Widows Fellowship begins in February, so there's not a meeting, obviously, in January. Our midweek fellowship, um, our uh, meal starts this week. It's beef stew with tortellini and a fall salad. Sounds yummy. 
um, our prayer group still meets on Thursday. So if you have wanted to be more intentional with prayer, they meet every Thursday at 10 a.m. in D106 underneath the sanctuary. Um, many of you have told me that you're going to this class, and I want to encourage you um, that if you need to, please do that. Um, Taylor is facilita facilitating this class on doing life with your adult children. This book, the subtitle is Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out. Um, <laughs> So that is on Wednesdays um, at 615 um, in C210. And then just a teaser, um, we think we can have, well, I, it's important to me to do some things that are a little bit uncommon in women's ministry. Um, Patricia and I are working on with Sherry on having just an opportunity of some just activity. Um, and so we're going to um, try to get this just a 101, true beginners. Um, I know there's some people that are scared to play pickleball because they're not good at it. Um, and so we're going to try this. And then in the spring, y'all, believe it or not, the house we bought has a pickleball court. We'll just have a party at my house, okay? Um, but... <laughs> Um, and then um, the next one is not, um, it's not, uh, it's not an announcement, but I have shared with y'all pictures of my baby girl every time we get started. And so Emma turned four two weeks ago. Um, you see her personality and then, um, yeah, she, she behaved for a moment um, for a picture. Um, boy, back to school. We talked about kind of feeling um, the, the crazy of getting back in order today. I think some of y'all have also felt the back to school crazy. Um, and it has been just one day this week. I mean, she went to school last week, but boy, yesterday was, I was, she was ready for bedtime at 4.30. So, um, okay, so let's get started or I'm not gonna get you to your extra time with your group, um, but why are we here? This is some of the same stuff we talked about last, last semester, if you, if you remember back or have your notes from four months ago. Um, but why are we here? Um, heart to Heart, whether you know it or not, there are three goals for Heart to Heart. Um, it's prayer and Bible study. That's probably why you're here. I, mean, I guess that's why you're here. But underneath that are these ideas of community and accountability, and then really intertwined is discipleship and mentoring. And so the reason I bring that up is for you to know that as we are in our groups, as we are in this prayer time, as we answer these questions, <laughs> that this is more than a rote activity. This is more than checking off the checkbox. Um, this really is about the relationships, the friendships, the fellowship, but the community that we're creating here, because what we want is life change in your life, but then the people that you are exposed to and that who know you. And we want above all things for Christ to be glorified. Um, and so that's the purpose of heart to heart. Um, yes, it's prayer and Bible study, but these other things are layered underneath that. And so I hope that you um, pray prayerfully consider those bottom, those bottom two bullets because um, as we get into our times of discussion, particularly um, the make it real section and the conversation starters, those are where it really kind of the rubber hits the road. Um, and I really hope that you will intentionally engage in those sections. Um, again, I want to talk a little bit about why the greatest story. This has been a big, a big study this year. I hope you're excited. Y'all, we, we've kind of reached, we've reached you reach the other side. I mean, we're, we're, we're entering the New Testament now. Um, but um, when I started, well, actually, Cricket and I worked together. I saw Cricket and I lost you. 
cricket, cricket, um, cricket and I overlapped three months last year. And so it was just a great opportunity for me just to, to, to kind of ease transition into um, this role. And as we started kind of preparing for the fall semester, it was that question of what book are we going to study? Many of you asked me the same thing. Are we going to have heart to heart? And then what are we going to study? And so with that question, I really kind of wondered, okay, how do you pick a book of the Bible? I mean, how do you pick a book of the Bible to study? Um, especially coming in cold in some senses, just as I was in this new position for me. Um, and as I thought about it and prayed about it, it was this idea of I want us um, for my first study not I mean Cricket's been had, have had has had studies for 17 years but for my first study I wanted us to relay the foundation of, of who we are as believers and why we believe what we do but that one story of scripture there are 66 as you know 66 books of the Bible that's typically how we approach scripture is individual verses or passages or as a book um, but what is this one story that the entire book of the Bible tells and that is of God's unfailing love for humanity, um, his vision for us, his uh, just never-ending forgiveness, um, and the constant um, just grace that he gives us. And we've seen that in the Old Testament, um, shockingly, number a shocking number of times, and we will continue to see that, but we see its fulfillment in the New Testament, and then we can anticipate the final fulfillment, which is so exciting. Um, on page, I think it's page five, um, I want you to see the names. Hopefully you've already seen them. Maybe page, yeah, page five. Um, these are the names of the women who helped write, um, edit, who are lecturing, um, your small group leaders. Um, there's a large, large number of people. This, this study represents this church, um, and that's exciting to me, and I'm grateful for the work um, that all of you are doing. And I want you to know, if you are not listed on this page, your participation in this study, put your name on this page. And I don't say that lightly i don't say that um to be to to blow smoke because as we grow together as a church we are building this community together and that includes the study as participants and just speaking the word to one another um, a reminder um if you we tried to say this many times last year is that this is not a study of law this is a study of grace and so when you turn to page eight these are the same weekly priorities that we had last year that, um, and I'm going to, that, and that's the, the first thing I want is to remember our priorities. And this is the summary. We can read through those bullets. You can read those bullets. Hopefully you've read them many times or at least once last semester when we started this study. But it boils down to this, that learning together and being in community is more important than finishing every question. Okay, so being here and learning in community is more important than answering every question. I hope you'll do the work, but do what you can. Life happens. We know that, don't we? And so um, I want you to hear that from me, hear it throughout the semester, um, that that's, that's our priority. Um, but what is our purpose? How many of you still have, I, don't, I didn't even bring mine with me, I hope I still have it, that postcard that we created last year to keep in mind, it says the greatest story and focus. That was intentional because it is easy. Our, our habit is to dive deep into scriptures and to want to get into the details. And so to stay at this high level is kind of hard at times. And so that's what that postcard is meant to remind you of. Um, I need to print some more so that if you don't have one, and if I have lost mine, um, I can have another one. But this is what the, the overarching storyline is, that God demonstrates never-ending grace and faithfulness 
despite man's disobedience and ultimately reconciles all creation to himself through Jesus Christ. That's a lot. That's a loaded statement, but every word is so intentional. And so as you read and begin the study of the New Testament, keep that in mind. And then the third purpose um, and priority for this study is that I want you to discover hope and confidence um, and how and who God has created you to be in this story that he has written for the world. Um, we can, we, this is not the place that we're going to dive into, into the study of um, purpose, um, but I want you to find that as we work through this, particularly in the New Testament, and see how God's and Jesus' reconciliation of us to God, the fulfillment of that, and how you are representative of that, and your giftings, um, how you were created, um, your experiences, and your journey all are just integral to this story um, in God's family. But um, we're going to turn the corner. And uh, this, this week, the reason there is no homework, not only because it's the first week and I wanted you just to come, um, is that we're in the intertestamental period. Um, the intertestamental period are those two to four pages between the end of Malachi and the first of the New Testament. And um, that represents 430 years. Um, now, when I was, those are called um, the silent years. Um, when I was 27, I moved to Dallas. Um, I was single, I was hopeful, but I was confident in my calling, I was confident in my direction, and I still felt a little young at 27 years old. Um, in 2014, so that was 2001, in 2014 I started planning my 40th birthday trip. Now that was going to be a solo trip, you can kind of understand why, probably infer why. Uh, because of logistics, I knew that no one would be able to go with me. Um, and so it wasn't what I envisioned for myself when I was younger, but that w I was not going to miss a celebration of a significant milestone. Um, it probably to the chagrin of my mother, I left on that solo trip, went to St. John Virgin Islands, had a place on the side of a mountain. Um, she either didn't tell me she didn't want me to go or I forgot. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably have some retribution of that as Emma gets older. Um, and so um, I was 20 years into the single life as I planned that trip. Um, was God absent? This is what I want us to consider today. Was God absent or was God present and moving in my life? Kurt and I were married, as you all know, in 2015. So God, we can look back and say God was moving. Um, we were 41 and 46 when we were married. I knew that biological children would probably be unlikely um, at that point, and it was. Um, that was not, that was not going to happen. And so um, in 2016, we started working with an adoption agency. Um, and for four years until 2020, there was silence. There was nothing to hear. Um, and there was literal silence. Um, and so... Um, we received a call in January 2020 about a phone call, a phone call about a five-year-old, five-week-old baby girl, and it changed our lives. And so you look back in, in the midst of it, in the silence, is God moving? Is he here? What does he want? And we could look back four years later and say, God was moving. He was in the details. We just didn't know what was happening. And so I want to ask, are you in the silence now? Are you in a period of life that you're experiencing extreme silence? You, you think you know that God is here, but you don't know because you can't see um, 
just the, the visibility of his presence in your life. When we left the Old Testament last, last semester, you may remember Dawn taught that lecture, um, a portion of the Israelites that had been exiled had returned to Jerusalem. Um, they had rebuilt a portion of the temple. They had rebuilt a portion of Jerusalem, but they were still under Persian authority. They weren't free. They were still under his authority. Uh, but again, as we said, you flip the page, and they're under Roman rule. They're numerous, and um, the temple has been rebuilt. Um, what happened in those years, um, and how does the greatest story connect between the Testaments? That w- that's what we want to talk about for a few minutes today. Um, and so I really wanted to, to also remind us that it's important that we, and I think we all have this value, but I want to restate it, that we read Scripture with the intent of understanding what God is teaching us, not what we want to infer from Scripture. Um, and so we want to learn what he's teaching us about himself but what he's teaching us about ourself as well as he reveals himself. But again, when the Bible is silent, what, what do we do in those moments? And so I want us to consider as we think about those years, um, in the silence, is God absent or is he hands off? Now, um, you can assume pretty easily that it sounds like a rhetorical question, but it's not. Um, many of our spiritual life questions, we feel like we know the answer to those, but does our, does our life, does our prayer life, does our emotional life, no, I won't say emotional. That's another topic because our emotions are emotions. Um, let's let them be that. Um, but um, do you believe that in the silence he is present? Do you really believe that? Or does it really feel, do you act as your prayer life demonstrate something very different than that. Um, It informs how you pray. Some of you have experienced this. It informs how you wait. And it it does inform how you suffer. Um, And I think some of these are questions that are good to consider now. And if you're in those periods and in that season of silence now, it's good to grapple with it head on. And um, I've had friends, um, this is just kind of a tangent, I've had some friends that have said, I've never heard God, I've never seen God move in 40 years. I'm like, really? Really? Can we, can we sit down and have a conversation and really think about that? Um, and so if you find yourself in that season of silence, we can do that together. Um, and so um, let, I want to, well, there's a question. I forgot to flip forward. Um, in the silence, is God absent or is he moving? But at the end of the Old Testament, we see that Israel has been split into these two nations. Israel in the north, ten tribes. Judah in the south, um, two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. Um, you will not be surprised that um, their behavior is not unlike what it had been throughout the entire Old Testament. That there um, was just, even with ongoing discipline, there was consistent disaster and consistent inability to obey Um, and so we read in Ezekiel um, that God's presence that's not this verse that God's presence left the temple do you remember us talking about how he hovered and then he departed the temple and so both regions were then brought into captivity and exiled to other countries as a consequence of their disobedience and so we've moved uh, so just forget that slide for a minute we've moved from Genesis which the beauty of creation the power of God's word the 
the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve, we've moved through these cycles. I mean, you, we can name them together of, of Noah and Abraham and David and the prophets and all these cycles of disobedience and forgiveness and mercy and grace and disobedience and forgiveness and mercy and grace and disobedience. And it's the same thing over and over again. But, um, and so this time they've, they've, they've left, they've been in exile, they've returned, but they've returned home um, to, a different, to a different temple, or not even a temple yet, um, it's a different home because the temple hasn't been rebuilt. None of them have lived in this land before. Um, so it's a very different home. And so Malachi, as the Old Testament ends, he says, he, the Elijah to come, who Jesus identified as John the Baptist, um, that's in Matthew eleven fourteen, will encourage fathers and their children to return to me so that I will not come and strike the earth with judgment. You would think they would listen because they have experienced this over and over and over again. God had been faithful, so this is Malachi, and God had been faithful in all the past to communicate diligently, both himself in the garden, we have word of him speaking, but also through angels, um, through prophets, through judges, through kings, um, and then for 400 years after they returned to rebuild this, the temple, he is silent. 430 years, there's no word from God. And as I think about that and I put myself in their shoes, I'd be like, should we have come back? Were we better where we were? Why is God silent? What is the purpose of this? Um, was he displeased? This is a people who had been in direct relationship with him, and now there really was no relation. His presence had departed. Um, I have felt silence for 20 years. I have felt silence for five years. Some of you have felt silence for much longer. Some of you are in that silence now. And so in those places, if you perceive that to be of God, what do we do with that? How do we react and how do we act? Is God absent or is he present and moving? That's the question for today. And so during God's perceived silence, um, you may already have perceived this answer. Um, and y'all, yes, I'm sweating. Um, yes, I'm sweating. Um, I want you to know, um, again, it's not rhetorical, but I want you to know and to see and it, how God is moving and active, and he is creating a world during these intertestamental periods of his silence. He is creating the world that Jesus will enter. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be much more reliant on my notes at this point because this is history, and um, we've talked about the need to write things down. And um, if I don't write them down, I'm not going to remember them. And so, but I want us to look at some history. Some of these names are going to be very familiar to you if you studied um, with the Daniel study or you remember some of the sermons from Daniel last semester. Um, I'll be honest, some of that just, just, it was just so much. It just kind of crossed my eyes at times. Reading this as the history of this intertestamental period, and this is what set up the time of Jesus, I was like, oh, I get it differently now. And so it really kind of added an, uh, uh, just a sense of excitement about these, about these things. And one reason why I want you to remember that it's important for us to study this historical period is that, I mean, consider our role today. Um, President Joe Biden, um, COVID, um, financial, um, the, the stock market, what it's been doing, housing prices, what else can we throw in there about our world today? Technology. Um, so that's our world today. If we assumed it, someone came in, looked at our diaries, assumed it was like the world in 1920, they'd be grossly wrong. 
And so as we look and understand the history of the world and what happened politically during this season, we can understand why some of the things existed in the New Testament that did. Um, And so we are covering about 430 years of history in five to eight minutes. Um, That's like covering, the United States has existed for 248. So, you know, we could, we would be skipping over a lot of history to try to even cover the U.S. history in that amount of time. So um, I do not presume that this is a detailed analysis of all the historical um, information, but maybe it'll whet your um, appetite, um, but it will at least get us set up for next week. And so when we look at this intertestamental period, there are four epochs or or eras. Um, of this time. Um, The first, which is at the end of the Old Testament, is Persian rule. So the Persians in 720, 720, I have 21 on here, but it's in 722, sorry, I can't speak, 722, Assyria destroys Israel. Okay, so not the Persians, Assyria destroys Israel. Um, In 626, this is when Israel, the, the, the northern nation, is in exile. Um, in 626, the Babylons defeat Assyria. And then in 586, the southern kingdom is also um, destroyed. And so we see Assyria, Babylon defeats them, and then Babylon defeats Judah. Um, and so both Israel and Judah, we, we read, are destroyed because of their disobedience. Now, I also want to tell you, too, where did this information come from? There's three sources, really, that we can look at for information on the history of the intertestamental period. That's the works of Josephus, um, 1 Maccabees, the uh, book of 1 Maccabees, and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so those are considered very reliable sources of historical information. They also follow Jewish tradition um, very closely. And so that's where this information comes from. so in four, just 47 years later, the Persians then replace Babylon. And so this is where Persia comes into play. Uh, Persia replaces the Babylonians under Cyrus the Great. And this is when Cyrus issues his decree um, in Second Chronicles. We won't try to read that because it's very small. Um, that um, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout the kingdom and put in writing that all the kingdoms of the earth of the Lord had been given to him, and as God commanded him to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem to rebuild. So Cyrus the Persian, um, they've gone through all this, this destruction, and when Persia comes in, there's this light that they can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But, and this is where um, I do rely on scholars much more um, learned than me is that Mark Young, he's a professor at DTS, says the thing to know is that when one kingdom conquers another, typically the king will be put to death. People will be forced into captivity. Um, They'll be exiled. They'll be forced to intermarry, to build and reestablish another life so that when they can, they don't return home. So you have a remnant of the Jews who returned to Jerusalem, not all of them. So Jews remain um, throughout the Assyrian, the Persian Empire, um, and scattered and begin to scatter throughout that region rather than returning to Jerusalem. But you'll see why that's um, it's pretty significant at the same time. So after the Persians, we have Greece. See, I told you this was going to be quick. Um, 
After Persia, the second epoch within this intertestamental period is Greece. Alexander the Great, many of us know his name, conquered Persia in 334 BC. Um, much of Alexander the Great's work was an attempt to Hellenize all of their territories. And so that's when he tried to really um, implement Greek culture throughout cities and the lands. Um, Greek became the primary language during this time, became the primary literary language and intellectual language as well. Um, there we go. Greek became the primary trait, intellectual and literary language. Um, in 323, Seleucus, this is when names can get to be really kind of confusing, but we're just going to keep this high level. Um, Seleucus, we find Seleucus the first gained control of Syria, which included Judah. Um, now his descendants, I mean, did not, they were, they were not kind. They were very harsh. And just um, only 150 years later, Antiochus the fourth outlaws Jewish worship and desecrates the temple. And there's one reason why, and, there, and you'll see now why this is important, because only, um, how, how long was that later? Not long. Um, oh, what did I do? Okay, sorry. Well, you'll get all these slides, so don't forget, you will get all these slides if you don't get to hand write them down. Um, after Antiochus, Antiochus IV Epiphanes outlawed, uh, y'all I can't speak, outlawed Jewish worship. It was only 11 years. Can I move forward? Okay. Um, 11 years later, the Maccabees, um, a family, um, they were a priestly family. There has, there has Manians, but the Maccabean family, um, the father and his sons revolted against Antiochus IV. Um, they actually captured Jerusalem um, and worship was restored in the temple. Now, all of this information, you're going to see how this really sets us up for the New Testament and, and the Jews um, at the beginning of the New Testament. Um, they ruled for 100 years. Um, and then after the Maccabees and, sorry, my Rome word disappeared. I'll go back to that pop-up. Um, Rome conquers Jerusalem and the Maccabees um, just 100 years after they took rule. So the Maccabean period was the only time really of independence that Israel felt during those 430 years uh, between the Testaments. Um, Rome conquered Jerusalem, and then in 37 BC, um, they install Herod the Great as king over um, Judea. Now, um, during the Greek period is when, I believe it was the Greek period, Rome appeared, Rome appeared. Somebody else can tell me because I've lost, what's that? Now I'm thinking about when they, when Judea, it became called Judea. Um, and that's where the, where Jews, where Jew comes from, the Judean people, um, the region of Judea versus Judah. Um, I'm trying to find my note, y'all. I've lost my note on, on what year that was or what. Okay, was that Seleucus? Okay looks good. Um, I'll see my note in a minute too, maybe on another page. Um, now, they installed Herod the Great. You are probably familiar with this name. This is the Herod that was um, king when Jesus was born. Um, he was quite old when Jesus was born, didn't uh, keep him from issuing the decree that caused uh, to, to kill the sons, which caused Mary, Joseph, and, and Jesus to, to flee to Egypt. Um, but only 11 years after um, he t 11 years later, let me see, 
well, no, he just dies soon. His descendants are the, the Herodian Empire, which is Herod Antipas. You don't need these names. Philip, Herod Agrippa I, Bernice and Drusilla, Herod Agrippa II. What to know, and let me look back at this. Oh, so Rome is in control throughout the New Testament. So not only are they there at the beginning of the New Testament, but throughout the New Testament, we'll see this come back later, they're constructing roads for travel, and they're also construct are not constructing, but they're creating shipping channels around the Mediterranean. You may already begin to see how some of this comes into play in the New Testament. Um, what's important to note is that the Herodian dynasty ruled uh, for 43 years, and during that time, they enlarged the temple. Um, it was one of the largest structures, um, religious structures in the world, and Jews actually formed about 10% of the community um, of that. That re of the Roman Empire region, which is pretty phenomenal to think about. Um, so that was the political. Again, this was this is the big picture political scene. You've seen the kind of history, these constant kind of movements of kings and kingdoms throughout the land. Um, that was the political world. Um, Judah becomes Judea bet during the Roman rule. Um, so it was during the Roman rule that Judah becomes Judea. Um, also, during this intertestamental period, you see the rise of the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. So if you think back to Greece and the Hellenization of, of the land, um, they were trying to implement um, Hel uh, Greek culture and life. And so during that period, we start seeing the rise of these groups that really are focused on being separated to the law. They want to be separate from the Greek life, but separated to the law. And so you have these different groups that rise up. Um, we're not going to talk about the distinctions between these groups, but there are distinctions between how they worship and how they perceive um, really the worthiness of the other people who did or did not worship as they did. Um, but also during this time, worship becomes decentralized. As people are spread in exile, as they don't return home, but families begin moving further out, we see the synagogue developed. And so the synagogue becomes the place of weekly worship. It's where they're taught, they gather, um, and so even as people are, may no longer even travel to the temple to worship, this is where worship becomes centralized. Um, and so let me just see, make sure I've got my notes. Um, it's important to note, too, that um, the, the synagogues did work in synergy with the temple, but what happens is because these synagogues existed, when the temple is destroyed, there's still worship that exists throughout, throughout this religion, throughout the people. And so, as you can see, in the silence, I don't know if you put the dots together yet, we'll put them together now, God is moving. This is what I want you to see. This is going to be a lot to write down, so I'll send you these. Um, but first, this is how we approach the New Testament. Um, first, the constant power changes um, just a hundred years prior, even less than that, than Jesus was born, um, the, the Jews had been in power. And so we see that these constant power changes had created an environment where Jews are looking for their Messiah, both the political Messiah, but also their religious Messiah. So there's a, just kind of a a, a ripeness in their mind and their hearts looking for the Messiah. Um, through the diaspora, the exile, um, there was a Gentile community that existed, a believing community of Gentiles that existed at that time. And so they're also ready for the Messiah. Um, God had moved literal kings and kingdoms around um, for the coming of his son, and his people had been spread all around. 
synagogues become the place where Jesus would teach and his message would go forth. They also are spread throughout the region. The Old Testament has been translated to Greek, the Septuagint, which opens the scripture to non-Jews and lays the foundation for the spread of Christianity. Um, again, we talked about roads now extend around the region, making travel easier, and the, the shipping channels that we talked about would become the routes that John traveled on his missionary journeys. So you can see that as we enter the New Testament, um, that not only do the Jews anticipate their Messiah because of everything that they had been experiencing and also in light of the Old Testament prophets. So not only is there all this political just change, all these religious changes, but they also have in mind the, the prophets and their words that carried them through that intertestamental period of time as well. And so they're ready for the Messiah to come. Um, and so as the New Testament opens, the Jews are anticipating the coming Messiah again foretold by the prophets who was the seed of Abraham from the tribe of Judah and the line of David born of a virgin and so for me it became super exciting to see how how do we go from Persia to Rome and a Jewish people that some of them are ready to accept Jesus and acknowledge Jesus as the savior that he is Galatians 4 4 through 6 tells us when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls Abba Father. And so in those 430 years of silence, God had been present um, and he had been moving he was establishing a world that would be ready to receive Jesus Christ the Messiah at his birth. And so that concludes our, our lecture today. But I would love us, we did this last semester, I would love us to stand um, and to sing this together. We'll dismiss from here into our groups. Um, as, you, um, as you spend time this week, um, please think um, just about what we, what we see in this intertestamental period that in the silence God is moving, he is present, um, and how can we wait in anticipation or move forward in anticipation that God is using all that you're experiencing to accomplish his good and his will in our world. Um, I am mic'd. Um, I don't want to be mic'd and sing, um, so um, I'm going to take this off. Actually, I don't think I can take this off easy. Um, let's see. There we go.